0: Turn to your Bibles if you would, if you haven't already there, to Job nineteen. I like speaking of the prophet Job. I like to understand a little bit more of what is going on. I think it'd be good for us to hold our place here at Job nineteen and go back to the first chapter. And first chapter, remember that we're dealing with uh, the last words, if you would. Um, I always think about the lasting words of a mission when I'm when I'm talking about Job, uh, because we we only know the beginning a lot of times on our difficulties and troubles that we have. The, the troubles come to Job in the beginning here, verse number one. It says that there was a man in the land of Uz. I don't know if this is where they got the Wizard of Oz from. I don't know. But uh, not even close to what actually is happening in the text, because there is a God in heaven. Even though Hollywood like to steal the minds of the children, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. So funny, because my mom, when she first got saved, she thought this was Job. She actually went to the pastor and said, you know, I've been reading Job. And he said, no, that's Job. And uh, she had questions concerning it. She's watching this morning. Uh, I hope she got a kick out of that. But it's interesting because it says here whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and scoot evil. What an incredible list of character traits of an individual. I I think it's interesting because we a lot of times think about ourselves a certain way, you know. Um, you know, I, I kind of want people to know that, uh, that that I am a preacher. You know, but I don't go out there saying, you know, we sandwich sign. I'm a preacher, but that you may be known as at one time known as the challenger. Of preaching when I would challenge the crowds that I spoke to uh, a little bit more than the average a little bit what are you gonna do with the message that I prepared are you gonna do anything are you just gonna uh, you're gonna respond at all to it so there is that that I- identity if they maybe identify you with your job or maybe they identify you with your intellectual ability or your your great wisdom or your skill or maybe you're a law enforcement officer or a, uh, a music teacher or whatever you you identify identify with something and Job identified with a person who was perfect and upright. He feared God and eschewed evil. I think of that word perfect. I think it's talking about the outward, if you would, here too. But also it's talking about morally pure, being holy um, before God um had a tendency to be able to be tender-hearted if you would uh the area of mature uh complete in God he had known that God is enough this was uh this was Job he was upright that was would be an inwardly uh pure clean conscience and so a uh, person who had learned to respect God uh, and I think he learned more even through his difficult issues that had happened to him. And we could, we could list all of those, but that's not the message. i got to get to the message, so i got to go rather quickly. But then he feared God also. In the first verse, it says that he was a perfect a man. He was mature. He was upright in his inward cleanliness in the area of his conscience. He feared God. That means he looked up in awe and he would tune into what God knows. This man was a man who feared God, had an incredible desire to reverence the God of heaven, had a healthy fear and understanding of God, but he skewed evil. That means he purposely would turn away from that which was wrong. In life, we're faced with things that we can make decisions that are not proper before God, but righteous men seem to be concerned about getting up early and getting their heart ready to be what God wants them to become during the day. And so it's important for us to understand that this is the kind of man Job was. He, his relationship with God was pretty healthy. Satan wanted to, to, to mess him up, you know, but he had to get permission from God first. Everything that actually happens to you has to go across God's desk first. Did you realize that? Think about that just for a moment. That it has to go approved, approved, approved first before it comes to you. Because God allows these things to happen, and and sometimes we'd say, uh, you know, God is mad at me. He's angry with me. That's why I'm going through all these difficult. No, no. God loves you. He wants to spend time with you. He desires to be able to bring you up spiritually to where He is, and He can do that alone. If we look at Mark, and we're learning that on Wednesday nights, that God seems to, the Lord Jesus Christ seems to, separate the individuals away from the crowds and so he could personally deal with their issues and then make them whole and so he could walk away knowing that they would actually glorify him and him alone and not some religion or some system or some book that they got off the Internet. That they would actually love the God of heaven and richly enjoy his presence. So that's what we're dealing with. But we're dealing with more than that because we're dealing with his words and we're dealing with, you know, and in an airplane, whenever it goes down in the ocean, did you know that recently, maybe about within the last seven years or so, that a plane was lost and they never found it? Did you realize that? Think about that. A plane was lost full of people and they still haven't found them know what they're looking for? They're looking for the black box so that they can figure out what happened, right? Right. Isn't that what they do? They search for the black box? You know, we don't have a black box this morning, but we got a a black book that actually is on our lap that we can actually see what has happened in the past. And I think, you know, the heartbeat of Job was, man, I wish somebody could write all this down so that I could actually express to those that are going to come after me that God is awesome. No matter what you go through, no matter how difficult he can take your home and your family and all of your, all of your financial assets can completely be gone. But if you have God, you have everything. Amen. Wow. Can I share with you this morning that you are as close to God as you want to be? Is there a longing this morning when you got yourself ready for church that you were actually preparing the external part of your body, but you didn't even think about the internal work of the Holy Spirit in your heart? So where are you at spiritually? Are you like Job? Are you ready to, and prepared to be able to face difficult things? And when you do, are you going to be able to glorify God through it? Or is there going to be a faltering that happens? and then a waywardness, and then a bitterness toward any Christian that comes up to you, or despising of preaching, that could happen even to people that actually attend church, if they're not careful. And so I want to personally talk to you, and as I was reading the passage here that actually was in Job 19, so turn back there if you would, I think that reading these verses just really... Impacted me. I want to read them to you again rather slowly, but look at the first verse that I want you to read. It's in verse 23. Listen to this word. Talk about looking for a black box or looking for the old black book. He says this. Job is actually expressing his difficulties, and he's, he's showing his great misery. And this is what he says. Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. Well, Job, they were. <laughs> they were. They're actually, look what it says in the next verse, that they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. It's amazing to me because this is actually part of the authentic word of God, and it is true, and it is account of a man who suffered so, but God saw him through it and gave him strength no matter what came in his life. And I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know why God wanted me to preach this simple message and try to get in the next 32 minutes, try to give it to you so you can actually walk away with some meat to be able to keep you strong in the Lord. But let me just share with you that what I'm telling you this morning is true. You're being told all kinds of lies in our culture today. But we can turn to the old black book. All that it was written... So that people ahead of me or, 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 or beyond me can actually see what's going on. And we can, Job. And it helped us. And someday we'll be able to sit down with Job and talk to him face to face. This man suffered greatly. And his desire, according to these verses, was that actually it would be written. This is something that I want everybody to hear Oh, that it was engraved in stone someplace. And then he says this, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and that he he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And though my, my skin worms destroy this body, and in my flesh shall I see God. Now listen to that verse. Look at it. What, what, what theology that we can gain from it? It says, and though after my skin, worms destroy this body. So if the body's gone, yet with my flesh I shall see him. he's saying, basically, I am going to get a new body, and I'm going to see my Redeemer someday, and I'm going to actually express to him how much I love him. And how much, and how thankful I am that He actually went to Calvary and died on the cross, and He was crucified. And the simplicity of it—oh, Fooey with religion—and hallelujah with a relationship with Jesus Christ, yes. because it's simple The a man can live upright before our God in heaven. It's so men have messed it up, and Paul warned us of it. He said that don't let Satan mess with your minds that you would actually draw away from the simplicity that's in Jesus Christ. It is so simple to come to Him. But it says verse 27 then, it says, Whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. So no matter what happens to my insides, no matter what happens to my outside, I myself will see Jesus, my Redeemer. Wow, what faith. We have so much in this country. We have an external evidence of God's wonderful hand and creativity with what we see this, this summer, now heading into the summer, with the beautiful growth and the flowers and so on. That all expresses that a, the God of heaven is alive and he is creative. We have an understanding that's been written through the years by the historians that there was a man named Jesus Christ, that he was crucified, that he actually was risen on the third day, and he went back to heaven to be with his father. And he actually expressed that. I'm going back to heaven where I once was. He is the eternal Savior, according to the historians and also according to the word of God. And so we are really a little bit ahead of Job. We have all of this. I think it's interesting as you look at the next few verses, but you should say, why persecute we him, seeing the root of the matter is found in me? Be afraid of the, of the sword, for the wrath brings the punishments of the sword, that, that you may know that there is a judgment. I think these words are sobering, to be honest with you. They're, they're soothing, but sobering. And, and they're sobering because we understand that we will all stand before God someday. There is what we call the judgment seat of Christ, and that is for the Christian. The great white throne judgment happens at the end of time, before we actually enter into the eternal state. That the great white throne judgment, that every single person who is not written in the land's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. But I'm not going to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you about the thoughts here concerning this whole idea in verse 25. Look what it says again. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. That's a a short sentence, wouldn't you? That'd be easy to memorize, don't you think? But I think it's even shorter if we just say, for I know that my Redeemer lives. That's even a shorter sentence. So I think that'd be a good... good, um, Let's let's say, um, let's call it a uh, a what is what's that car com, com, compartment? What do they call that? You put your stuff in glove box. This would be a good glove box tattoo. Write on it for I know that my Redeemer lives. Instead of writing on your body, write, write on your car someplace or or in a mirror or something. I think that would be better for you to be able to see. Actually, these words that your Redeemer lives. I think that should be something that should always be cautious in your mind. I think you get the point. I was reading this and I had to slow through it. And two places in the Bible we see the words, my Redeemer, uh, here, my Redeemer. But also in Psalm 19, verse 14, it says, let the words of my mouth And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength, my Redeemer. My Redeemer. For I know that my Redeemer lives. So, to be redeemed means to be bought back. We understand that. To be purchased is the word ra'amo. That is the Hebrew word ra'amo. Ra'amo. Would be back. Amo would be to buy, and so to buy back or to purchase back. So we could say that we were on the shelf, and then we were then bought off the shelf, never to be placed on the shelf again, because there is no longer need for, or will be in a little a legitimate sale once that you have been purchased by God. And so, wow, I think that's worthy of an AM. These two words basically bring out the personal aspect that we can call him my redeemer. Now, I belong to Jesus. And Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. What a beautiful... Redemption is a final act. My redeemer lives. The purpose of the purchase was not only for possession, but for progression, if you would, in our lives. You see, because we're supposed to be getting brighter and brighter. This little light of mine, I will let it shine. But I, I want it to shine brighter than it was last year. Brighter than it did during COVID, huh? Give me an opportunity to be able to shine brighter this year than I did last year because my desire is to be able to point to Christ. Why are you beaming? Why are you so happy? Why, are you, why can you go through those difficult things during, during the day that you face with such great fervency? Because this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You know, I'm not going to let Satan cover it up. I'm not going to let Satan blow it out. Absolutely not. He will try to extinguish your fire within you, but don't let him do it. It really is a choice of yours. But I think if we're looking at this passage, we would understand a little bit more. We are to be growing in grace, and we are to be getting brighter and brighter. But I want to I just express this need for us to remember that it's all about redemption that he bought us back. So were we ever his? In the beginning of time, man was, remember? And then because of sin, there was a falling out, if you would, in the relationship. And because of that sin nature that all of us have, there needs to be a mending, a reconciliation. We use the word atonement. How many of you have ever heard that word? Raise your hand. Atonement. Okay. The word atonement, and I said this in Sunday school, is mentioned 13 times in the 16th chapter of Leviticus. It's mentioned, it's mentioned all those times in one chapter. Think of that. But atonement is only mentioned one time in the New Testament, and it's in Romans chapter 5, verse 11. Atonement. <coughs> Because in the Old Testament, the word atonement was talking about a covering. That these animals' blood that was actually shed, and, and God would cover the sin. But in the New Testament, the word atonement means to reconcile, to become as one in Christ. And so now Jesus, because of His work once and for all, and we receive Christ and His finished work on Calvary, He has redeemed us. To himself, not the church. The Baptist church can't do anything for you. The Lutheran church can't do anything for you. The Catholic church can't do anything for you. Only Jesus can do something for you. And that is through a relationship with God that he'll give you if you trust his work on Calvary. And by the way, there is no other way. There is no way. You can't add your good works to the gospel because then it makes it evil. You have to trust him alone. It's by grace. It's where the poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich, the most educated and yet the most ignorant, and those that maybe have no talent at all, and a person who is really talented can actually enter into the presence of God by one thing, and that's through faith, not a church, not a religious organization. So when we're talking about atonement and being a redeemer, he actually has reconciled us to God. And he's purchased us. And he's taken us off the shelf, never to be sold again. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and it is there forever, no matter how you feel, no matter how guilty you may sense. And by the way, if you feel that common condemnation, it's because you are still got fleshly things going on in your life. Get rid of them. And walk in the Spirit, because there is there now... No condemnation to those that walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. And so we go back to this understanding of walking in the Spirit. There's three things that I want to pull out of this real quick here within the next 20 minutes or maybe less. Three things, and the first thing I really believe is important is look at the verse, if you would, again, in verse number 25. In verse number twenty-five, he uses the words and very choose to use because he says, I, "I want this to be written in stone." For I know. That seems like, like maybe he's expressing his knowledge a little bit, but I would actually say that in order to be able to go through your difficulties and be able to make a difference to those around you, you must number one have an incredible. Confident faith in what God has said and what God has promised. If you want to make a difference for Christ in this culture, you're going to have to have a confident faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your faith has to be placed in something that's solid, something that's rock, something that's eternal, and that is Jesus Christ. Too many people live their lives by their assumptions rather than what is reality. And when it comes to salvation, we need a faith that doesn't waver back and forth. And remember what Pastor James said in James chapter 1, verse number 6. He said, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like the wave of a sea driven with the wind and tossed. You ever find someone that you talk to about spiritual things and they'll say, well, I really don't know if the Bible really means that. What he's saying is, I don't know if I really want to accept that. And they are willingly ignorant so that they can actually feel better at night. And let me just tell you something. If the Bible says it, you ought to believe every word of it. And don't change it so that it fits your doctrine. Make sure your doctrine is a godly, spirit-filled doctrine. It's important for us to remember that this wavering can happen even in The last days, Hebrews chapter 10, reads this way, And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water, and let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And so we are putting our faith and our trust and all all of our hopes and what Jesus Christ has said. I remember being in church as a teenage boy and hearing Pastor Bodie preach a message on this particular topic years ago. And I was hoping to be able to work on the farm that summer and listening to that great man of God preach the Bible. And he was talking about how when I get to heaven, and he used to have a little New Testament that he had in his pocket all the time, and he's preaching away and he's sweating up there. He's kind of a short stocky guy, you know, and lived a life as in the world, got saved later in life and then went on to Bible college to Tennessee Temple University and he graduated from there and went to he went to Wisconsin. You know why he chose Wisconsin? Because there's sin in Wisconsin. That's what he said. He found a place called Prairie du Chien, and he actually asked the guy if he could actually change the oil in vehicles and got a job. He built a church. He built a Christian school, built a gymnasium. Then he went to Wyoming, and he got sick, and he passed away. But Pastor Bodie was a great preacher, and from his preaching when I was a little boy, he talked about getting to heaven. And he says, if someone says, why should I let you in the gates? He said, I was going to, he pulled out his little New Testament. He said, I'd take this verse and I'd show him this verse because of this verse, not because of me. Because God's word is stronger than you. God's word is greater than your emotions. And I don't know where you're at spiritually this morning, but our God is sitting in the heavens watching you and, and taking care of you. And we'll provide for you. I talked to Mr. Robin this morning. I thought it was Mr. Sparrow, but it was Mr. Robin that keeps building a nest over our light out there. You know what I'm talking about. I came up to the door. He saw me pull in. Someone must have awakened him. And he flew over under the roof, but he kept his eyes on me because he couldn't wait till I left. So he'd go back and lay upon his eggs. And I thought about how wonderful God is. I said, good morning, Mr. Mr. Robin, I thought you were a sparrow. He looked at me, kind of turned around, and then he flew away and came back. And sure enough, when I got in the office and was settled down and nobody was coming in the doors, he flew back onto his nest. You know who feeds and takes care of Mr. Robin? The God of heaven. And he'll take care of you, dear friend. I don't know what your problems are. But in order to make a difference, you've got to have a confident faith. I know my Redeemer liveth. I know. I think about how important it is to be able to be confident, but we have to be careful. And we need to be confident in the right thing. First John chapter 13, 1 uh, five, John 5.13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And, and by the way, if there's any doubt in there, take care of the doubts. I always deal with someone, they come in and say, well, well, I grew up in a Lutheran church, or I grew up in a Catholic church, and I, I grew up in a, in a good church, and I heard all about God, and I've been listening about this, but I'm not sure if I'm saved. Well, it's really simple. It's really simple. Just say, Lord, tell them, I grew up in a Lutheran church, Lord. Tell them, I grew up in a Catholic church, Lord. And I know who Jesus is. Would you please forgive me? Would you please open my heart and come in and save me? Because the Bible says if you believe in your heart, you need to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. And if you do that, it says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it's interesting when we think about the simplicity that's in Christ, and when we, when we do that, we understand that it is a certain thing. These sayings write unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John chapter 5, verse number 20. And as we know that the Son of God is come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and that we are in Him that is true, and in His Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God, and eternal life, 1 John 5, verse number 20. We have to be careful that our confidence doesn't become self-confidence. I read a story years ago about John McKay of the NFL. He tells a story of illustrating a supreme confidence that was actually a confidence that was too strong. Of course, he was with the coach of the University of Alabama football at the time was Coach Bear Bryant. You may have heard of him. But they were out shooting ducks together, and finally here comes one lonely duck flying right over the top of them, and Bear, this overconfident coach, fires at the duck. Clearly missed it. Sat back down, and Bear watched the duck flap away, looking at his friend, and said, Can you believe it? That's just a complete miracle. That duck is completely dead, but he's still flying. That's overconfidence. And sometimes life is like that if we're not careful. We can rely upon our own personalities, our own knowledge. We need to be relying upon God's word and God's promises alone. The second thing to make a difference would be an abiding love an abiding love. Do you have the abiding love of God with you? What I mean by abiding love, that it tarries with you. It's always there. He is with you, and he loves you, and you love him. It is a relationship that is mutual. Are you breathing this morning? Yes. Did you have a good breakfast this morning? Yes. You see, God loves you. He's taking care of you, but if you told him you love him, it's, it's a really good relationship in the home when I tell Tammy I love her. And then she tells me that I, I love you too, Dean. Got to have it back and forth. That's a good relationship. God has already told you this morning he loves you. Have you told him that you love him? We need a clear teaching of our Redeemer. Or I should say, of my Redeemer. The object to be bought, the purchaser the price, the object takes on a new condition, such as a slave being sold to an individual, purchased to be set free. I think it's important to know that anybody that has done time in prison is actually set free without probation, without a hindrance, completely pardoned and forgiven, and have a clean slate. That man would really appreciate his life, and so would you. If you understand that Jesus has completely forgiven you and given you a clean slate, you will love him more. More forgiven, more love. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50 is the most beautiful story of the woman who comes to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus gives a small little parable, little teaching. And in that teaching, he actually provides the understanding that a person who has been forgiven much has an incredible, incredible amount of love. I think about my grandpa all the time when I speak on that because my grandpa, he loved his family so much after he was saved. It was expressed every day of his life after he had been forgiven. We need a personal understanding of our Redeemer. I was thinking about this song, I Will Sing of My Redeemer. You may remember the song. It was found in a piece of baggage rescued from a fiery train wreck on December 20th, 1876. The author is 38 year old Philip Bliss. He had been traveling with his wife to Chicago to help D.L. Moody. In the old tabernacle services, there. In Ohio, a bridge collapsed and the train plunged into the icy riverbed. It is said that Bliss survived the fall, but then he climbed out through the coach window only to return back looking for his wife. And then, when he was reunited, they died together in the flame wreckage. The hymn was found in his possessions. A very simple expression of the truth of the gospel. It was based on First Chronicles 16, verse 9, where it says, Sing unto him. Sing unto him. Sing psalms unto him. Talk ye of his wondrous works. And he wrote, I will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love to me. On the cruel cross he suffered from the curse to set me free. We used to sing it, sing, oh sing of my Redeemer, with his blood he purchased me. Remember that song? On the cross he sealed my pardon, paid the debt, and made me free. Wow. Some of these songs are so rich in doctrine, but they are so emotionally and devotionally sung because we too experience that Redeemer's love. He goes on to write, I will tell the wondrous story and how my lost estate to save and in His boundless love and mercy He the ransom freely gave. I I will praise my my dear Redeemer, His triumphant power I'll tell and how this victory He giveth over sin and death and hell. What a beautiful song. Could you sing about your Redeemer? Do you even desire to? Do you love him? If you want to make a difference, you want to be able to say, if there's anything that would be in the black box of my life that people could say, what would be a memory of that individual? What is your identity? Is your identity being a Christian or is it something else? Why not just say, here I am, Lord? Make me into the man you want me to be. Give me that confident faith that I need so strongly. And give me, give me the power to be able to love and have that abiding love, my Redeemer. But in closing, I see something else here. For I know that my Redeemer does what? What's the verb? He lives. (laughs) I know he lives. I know he lives. How do I know? Well, one of the reasons that I know is because the Bible said so. But I see the change in so many people that were going in the wrong direction and would have ruined their lives and end up in hell. But they said, no, I'm not going there. I'm going to put my faith and my trust in Jesus. I'm going to actually anchor my soul to something that's solid, Something that means something. And I don't care what people say about me. It doesn't really matter. I know that my Redeemer lives. And I think the last thing here would be then an enduring hope. Living. We worship a living Savior. So if he's living, then what is he doing? We know that he is preparing a place for us because the Bible says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Wow. You could put your name in there. I go to prepare a place for Daryl. I go to prepare a place for Carolyn. I go to prepare a place for Ted and for Tom and for Aaron and for Mark. I go to prepare a place for you. That's what he's doing right now. He's preparing your place. We always say this kind of jokingly, you know, when a person's not dying and they want him to go. I was thinking of um, Ron Hamilton. You know, he was just laying there. They were saying he should just go and give up and go. You know, we say kind of jokingly, well, God's not done with your windows yet or not prepared your place yet. But I really earnestly believe he's dealing with us. You're not prepared for that place yet. That place is beautiful. And there's still some things in your life that you need to get rid of or get ready for. I think it's important for us to remember that we have a living hope. I was thinking about Brother Ed. What a man. What an interesting individual. And what a blessing he was to so many. He's now with the Lord. The Bible says in Hebrews 6:19 which hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast and which enters into that within the veil. But what is Jesus doing? He's engaged as a high priest as the mediator. The Bible says in Hebrews 7:26 for such an high priest he became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled Separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. And But now he hath obtained a more excellent ministry, but how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. What is Jesus doing now? He is an advocate with the Father on your account, my little children. These things I write unto you that you sin not, And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made by hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now appear in the presence of God for us. That he is actually in the presence of God for us. I had a deacon here years ago that had a boy. His name was... His name was Greg. Him and I went to school together. Greg Rude. And what they decided to do was to take his money and buy himself a scooter. And he bought a nice one. I don't know if it was really owned by Jerry or if it was owned by Greg. I don't know. Because they were so close, Greg and Jerry. Greg was here as my secretary when I came in, helped me in the ministry. Through the years, they got rid of that Scooter. And one day Greg was going home from church here and he stopped at a garage sale and guess what was there? Like 20 years later or so, I don't know how many, 18 years later or something like that was that scooter and he's just looking at it. I think I need to get that for my dad. And he bought it back and gave it to his father. And Jesus looked at you and he bought you back to give to his Father. You have a Redeemer who lives. And when your body is old and decayed and basically disintegrates, you will still stand before the God of heaven and praise him because of what Jesus Christ has done. See, it's not just about this earth and this world. It's about the next to come. And it's not just about this life. It's about the life to come. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. I know the crowd is not big this morning. But this message was for you. And maybe you understand enough now to where you desire to be able to be born again you're going to become a Christian the biblical way. And you want to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and save you. You, God's been preparing you for this day for a long time, and now today's the day that you would say yes to him. Is there anyone here this morning that would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Because I do need to receive Jesus Christ the biblical way. I want to make sure that I'm a Christian. I want to know Jesus. Anybody like that, lift up your hand. Thank you, sir. Anybody else, lift up your hand and say, would you? thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Maybe somebody else this morning, this message was for you, dear friend. Say yes to Jesus. Anybody else would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not sure I'm a Christian. I want to be, but I'm not sure. Just simply raise your hand and put it back down again. Anyone else? Then, dear Christian, this message was for you also. And maybe you're not where you need to be spiritually. I just wanted to help your faith this morning and preach the word and take an Old Testament passage and help you. But maybe you too need to come. Maybe it's for baptism. Maybe it's for church membership. Maybe it's just to come and pray. Why don't you do so this morning? Let's all stand. Let's have an invitation. If you want to come to him, he's coming to you. His spirit is working in your heart. Why don't you come? Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, guide and direct in the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.